1: Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production, available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One.
0: Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I am Daniel. We're your host and so happy to have you with us for this episode. I was originally unsure if I was going to do one Thanksgiving week. I do really like it, but it's one of those times, as many of you know, that it can get away from you a little bit. But I found the perfect guest who was willing to do it, and that's Derek Bodner, a longtime friend of the show and one of my favorite people to talk to. And the Philadelphia 76ers are one of the things I wanted to talk about most of this time of year they've been really encouraging this year and Derek is a great person to talk with about that so he is a senior writer for the Athletic Philadelphia covering the Sixers and he's doing some draft work as well for the Fieldhouse which is also part of the Athletic and we go through the Sixers you know what's been notable this year what we still need to see Embiid, Simmons, Fultz, some of their role players and it's a great conversation. This episode is brought to you by Harry's. You can get their awesome free trial set with that includes a razor, uh, their shave gel, which I love, at harrys.com/slash-realgm. All you have to do is pay for shipping, and then mybookie.ag. You go to mybookie.ag, enter the realgm promo code, and you get a fifty percent deposit bonus on that initial deposit. This episode is a little shorter than most real GM episodes long, long for a lot of other podcasts. It's a little less than an hour, but I think you'll really enjoy it. I hope you do. Thanks so much for coming on. It's
1: my pleasure, Danny.
0: You and I have talked about the Sixers a lot on various podcasts and just talking about the Sixers. And I'm so excited that now it's not theoretical in the same way that it was. I mean, we're going to talk about the future of this, of course, as well. But we have so much more actual basketball instead of like, oh, what they could be now, which I'm thrilled about.
1: Yeah, we spent so much time talking about, well, you know, if Joel Embiid stays healthy. And to be clear, that is still very much an if. And if Ben Simmons can translate and if these guys that you drafted with the expectation or at least with the hope that they would become, you know, real star level players, there's some real evidence that that is a case. In Joel's Joel's case, I would say that he is there when he's on the court already. And in Ben's case, he's a lot closer to being there than you would have reasonably expected. And the fact that that path now to seeing that is so clear and there's so much less fog in the way of that. It, uh, it, it's quite an exciting time for a team that has been, you know, this fan base is unique in that they embraced the concept of hope for so long and they bra- embraced it so wholeheartedly that for it to be paying off it's uh, it's fun to see
0: what's also been striking and we'll go through the players individually but what i think has been striking to me is not necessarily the idea of oh simmons delivering and all that no those are important but more so the fact that i think we already have a clear vision for how covington and and simmons as a trio can work and that that has been as effective as it as it can be this early is really impressive and also inspires maybe more hope than even the the positive impressions each one of those guys has generated individually
1: yeah and i mean you look at you look at that trio ben simmons 21 Joel Embiid, 23 i think now and covington around 26 so they're your, your trio not just for now but for for the foreseeable future they're all locked into you know a couple more years you've got two more years after this one for Ben, obviously four more years after this one for Covington and four and five more years for Joel. So they're, they're going to be here for a while and you can already see schematically how that is going to work. That is your three, four, five of the future. And they're already effective. You know, it, it's, it's hard with sample size at this point, but you're getting the point where those three on the court, I think the Sixers are like a plus 16 or a plus a 17 in net rating. And you are talking now about 250 odd minutes. So there is something behind that number. Those three are working very well together. Obviously, right now, Covington is on a a little bit of an unsustainable stretch. I don't think anybody expects him to, no matter how many open looks Benson gets him, I don't think anybody expects him to shoot this well for the entire season. But defensively, that identity is already there, and and Joel makes that identity crystal clear. And offensively, you're seeing how conceptually it will work.
0: Yeah, and and that's what's been striking to me is more on the defensive end, and and that goes to credit to all three guys, because Embiid has been spectacular. spectacular that's not a surprise we expected that Covington fits in well as a man-to-man defender and a team defender and then Ben Simmons has so much ability and so we we saw this with smart guys before where we've seen it with uh, players who are savvy basketball players that maybe they're shaky defensively at certain points but that it's a lot more likely that they're going to figure it out and with Simmons the energy being far above what it was at LSU. I mean, I still think he can get a lot better on that end has made it. So, okay. I'm not, I'm not worried about him there anymore.
1: Yeah. I mean, you, you, It's inconsistent, but it's inconsistent like any 21-year-old rookie is. Whereas at LSU, it just looked like flat-out indifference. And that progression from indifference to inconsistent is really important. And it's also one that's really hard to predict. And I I shared many of those same concerns watching him at LSU. I mean, they put him in a a lazy 2-3 zone. I always say I don't think he got down into a defensive stance once that year. And trying to predict which one of those guys will break those habits and become a a guy that you can really count on on the defensive side of the court to at least give effort to utilize his tools. He's defending a a multitude of positions right now, which you always knew he had it in him physically. But to see him actually utilize that and realize that it's been it's been really encouraging because, quite frankly, you don't need him to be a lockdown defensive player. You need him to be able to switch when he needs to You need him to be able to force turnovers and you need to be you need him to care. And as long as he does that, you know, he's got one of the best rim protectors behind him. He's got a good team defender in coming to next to him they will function well as a group defensively
0: right I've used the phrase before of reciprocal versatility which is that if you have players who are really good defenders all you need from the other guys from the kind of the second tier or third tier guys is the ability to cover the gaps and Simmons has already shown that ability at this point I think he can get even a little bit better than that he's been active in passing lanes and maybe the biggest surprise for me defensively because you always knew there was a possibility he was going to care is that Brett Brown has put him on point guards at at moments in time, and there have been some stretches where he struggled, but generally speaking, he's been better than I expected there, and that leads me to have more confidence, not only in terms of what a switching system can do, but also in terms of how you think about the rest of that roster, because if he can defend ones with any consistency... You can handle those other spots a little bit differently.
1: Yeah, I mean we've we've seen it a couple times now where he's, you know, come out of halftime and he's been on Kyrie and you kinda go like, Whoa, this isn't this isn't normal. That's a six ten guy who's gonna get you ten rebounds out on the on the perimeter defending Kyrie. Uh, and he has done that reasonably well. I mean, one-on-one, I think he's actually been far better than I would have expected. It's it's kind of off-ball when Kyrie comes off some of those screens, those kind of actions that he's going to have to get used to that he's probably never really defended frequently in his life. But yeah, I mean, the, the sheer versatility between those guys, I mean, Covington, six, eight, six nine, you'll see him on point guard sometimes. Ben Simmons, 6'10", you can put him on a point guard and not get embarrassed. That, uh, that I mean, you're seeing it with Boston, how you can really utilize that kind of versatility. Scheme around that, and, and you uh, use that to their advantage the Sixers should have that in future years.
0: So to have the numbers out there, we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. Covington and Bede Simmons have played a total of 245 minutes together. One twelve point four offensive rating 95.7 defensive ratings that's a net rating of one of six plus 16.7 and remember that 95 defensive rating 95.7 that's against opposing starters for the most part because that's when those guys play together
1: yeah and i I mean it's been against a pretty tough schedule too Uh, a, a road heavy schedule and even when they're home they've been playing you know boston and houston and golden state like they have i think they just played their sixth game at home and a lot of those are against really good competition some of them not you've got atlanta and indiana and and utah in there as well but they've played uh they, they've been tested so far i think for the most part they've held up the big concern for them is still going to be and, and will be for the foreseeable future holding up when Joel Embiid's not on the court but quite frankly that's happened so infrequently this year at least compared to our expectations that uh you know they, they could end up finishing with a top 10 defense this year and it wouldn't shock me at all even with their youth
0: You've watched a lot more of him than I have, but I've been a little bit frustrated with Rashawn Holmes and I've been thinking about, you know, the idea of of what you want in a backup center for the Sixers is different than other teams, partially because Embiid's health is going to be a concern to a point. There's nothing he can do to a sway shot. That's just when when a big guy's had foot issues, you want to have that. But I've been thinking more in the, the last couple of weeks about having a capable defensive center just so you can kind of keep your schemes close enough to the same. And you don't have to commit a ton of resources to it, but even the idea of just using something to make sure that you line that up because having somebody in that role, whether Embiid is healthy or not, would give them a stability defensively that could really help them long term.
1: Yeah, I, I share your disappointment in Rashawn. It's it's kind of been a, a disappointment for a couple of years running now because you see the athleticism and you see the effort he gives, even defensively, and you say, OK, you should be able to make that into at least a good enough bench defender and so far that just hasn't been the case he's out of position quite a bit um his reads defensively just don't seem like they're sharp enough the nba is an interesting game where you get a point guard who can just get you leaning in the wrong direction and that can be a cut to the basket for a layup and rashawn gets bit by that a lot um he goes for blocks that quite frankly he has no chance for he's just there's a lot of tools that he hasn't put together And you look at him now and he's, you know, 23 or 24 years old. You wonder how much that's going to click long term. He's an interesting spot because he has this year and one more year remaining on his contract. And then, you know, you're going to have to commit some money to him. I'm not sure exactly what that's going to be. I think a lot of it probably depends on how much playing time he gets over the next year and a half. But you do start wondering, you know, if you get, let's say, the Lakers pick. And the Lakers pick is top five protected, meaning the Sixers get it. Well, it's, it's a weird protection to get if it lands number one or if it lands after after number five. So you start looking at who might be there and maybe it, it ends up conveying at six, seven, eight in that kind of range. And the best player is a center. If you can get a, a, a real, I don't say defensive anchor, but a, a, a defensive upgrade at that position to put behind Joel. Do you consider that? And that's something where it's. An odd question to ask because you have Joel Embiid. You have still Jaleel Okafor. Some days I forget that, but you still do have him on the roster. You have Rashawn Holmes. You just got rid of New Orleans Noel. You never would have said, you know, maybe we should use another lottery pick on a big man. That's just not the way you expect when talking about the Sixers, but it might end up being the case.
0: And this draft, especially in that area, we don't know exactly where things are going to fall, has a lot of guys that could be potential fits like R- Robert Williams from Texas A&M. If he's in that area, Jaron Jackson Jr., who I watched in Michigan State, Wendell Carter, all those guys are... Probably better suited, actually, at least in the early days, to that kind of a Sixers role, where they're playing in the small, they're playing in the small spot. And then if they end up deserving something bigger, you probably trade them because as long as Joel Embiid is healthy, you're you're not. I doubt those guys are going to jump him. Like that's not there. But when you have as many pieces figured out as the Sixers do, and if the other options at other positions aren't great, if they don't love the guys that are available at two guard, and Trevon Duval, who is a talented athletic point guard, can't shoot, that could create some problems with some of their lineups. You could also say, hey, it's a high ceiling backup point guard, you know, something like that, or even Colin Sexton, if he's still around. There are a lot of fascinating possibilities there. And then even with the Sixers own pick, which they still have the rights to, maybe that's a spot where you could theoretically get a center as well.
1: Yeah, again, that, that Sixers pick, I think before the season, everybody expected, you know, 13, 14 Best case scenario, like making the playoffs before the season wasn't impossible because you looked at the Eastern Conference and and you knew that there was going to be some opportunity for a, you know, mediocre team to make the playoffs. But now, as long as Joel Embiid's healthy and he's playing these kind of minutes, it would be very surprising to me if they didn't sneak in as a six, seven, eight seed. So that draft pick, you end up looking late teens, early twenties. And yeah, at that point you could certainly start looking, I mean, the the possibilities six are in a great spot because if Markel comes back, Markel Fultz comes back, you know, you've got four starting positions locked up. Well, uh, assuming Markell Fultz looks like the prospect we saw at Washington, you have four long-term starters locked up. You're really just looking for that one more wing player, probably a two guard who can, who can play off the ball well and and defend his position. And then you're looking for depth, and it just opens up so many opportunities, along with, like I said, Rashawn's maybe less than stellar defensive play, where anything really could be in play with either of those two picks.
0: The biggest surprise for me, with the Sixers team speaking broadly, has not been that the line... I'm calling the Simmons-MB-Covington-SEC. I'm That's the I'm using it in my head. I went through all the other acronyms, and that was the one I liked the best.
1: <laughs> but, like it better than Feds.
0: There we go. But so that gets into to what I wanted to talk about, which is... Sharich actually fitting with those guys? has been shocking to me because first of all, I've questioned his jump shot. You know, he's, I love the way he plays, but I just never thought he was going to, at least at this point in his career, have a reliable jump shot. We're still small sample size. We're still doing with that. But defensively, that combination has worked well too. And so you talked about the idea of, Oh, well, you need one more guy. There's a shot. I don't, I, I'm still not sold on it yet. Those guys have only played, I, I'm looking it up 144 minutes together. They've been great in those 144 minutes, but the possibility of Sharich, Simmons, Covington, and Bede being four of your starting five is fascinating to me.
1: Yeah, and I mean, there, there are a couple things. First of all, I, I wonder if maybe just the, you know, Reddick Covington, Simmons, and Embiid grouping is so strong that that's why, like, Sharich might not like, have... Like, a the Z- like he, he's group. the Zaza Pachulia. He's the Zaza Pachulia. yeah, yeah, yeah. I will say, I think, defensively, I always thought you'll you'll maximize Ben Simmons most playing him at the four. And theoretically, I still think that's the case. Obviously, I think... You know, his rebounding and transition pushing are one of his real elite skills. You want to maximize that he's still grabbing over nine rebounds a game. It hasn't affected him by putting him on the perimeter a little bit more defensively. So if that's the case, it opens things up with Sharch, especially if he's going to shoot 35, 36, 37% from three-point range. And that was one of the things with his his game last year. Yeah, he made a strong push for Rookie of the Year towards the end of the season, but his jump shot really abandoned him. Well, he came out and he he shot okay from three-point range. For a while, he was over 40%, fell back down. I think now he's in a 35% range. That's still an improvement. He struggled a little bit in other other aspects of the game you know if, particularly shooting inside the arc, like he's just, he's got such a serious athleticism disadvantage that I think it's hurt him a little bit more now when he's much more of a spot-up guy and attack closeouts guy, rather than somebody that you really put put the ball in his hands and ask him to create a little bit more frequently. I do think he's still struggling to find his role a little bit, but if Ben Simmons can defend the perimeter, and I think right now it's pretty clear he can, and that's not going to really hurt his transition game all that much, and Charge is going to make that three-point shot, you give it a little more of a look than maybe you otherwise would have, especially when charge is is struggling outside of that shooting to, uh, to start the season because his, his effort and his intensity really is fantastic. He doesn't have the ball in his hands to put up big assist numbers, but he's clearly capable of making the right read and making a creative play to move the ball around on the perimeter. So there's something to work with. It's just it's still, I think, very much in the wait and see mode with him.
0: What it might end up being, at least for the rest of this year, but maybe even moving forward, is just one of the options that you can cycle through. So I think he's not a part of the core, you know, the the Simmons, Embiid, Covington. I don't think he's a part of that, but they're going to need to try options. I mean, Marco Foltz is presumably going to be be a part of that whether it's JJ Redick or if they replace him. And I want to talk about that in a minute, having Sharich as an option there, first of all, that it's nice to have options. And second of all, if the goal is to have him play enough minutes, that's another way to do it, is to, to give him some there and then when, when other guys sit. So maybe that's the the solution here is not that you're thinking, okay, we're going to build with this as a as an understanding of how this team is going to go, but we're open to using it as a part of the uh, options for now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And look, Scharch is still young enough and he has enough skill that you want to, like you said, get him on the court. And if you're going to be able to get him on the court right now and that unit I mean that unit, that five-man unit right now, and like you said, it's like 140 minutes, but they're like a tw- a plus 26 net rating. That's that's absurd. That's an abs- that's absolutely absurd. The starting lineup has been doing really well. Nobody expects it to hold up to that degree, but for as long as it is, get the young player on the court, get the talented young kid on the court. And see what issues he can work through. Uh, he has struggled, by and large, coming off the bench in each of his two seasons so far. If it helps him get, you know, get in the flow of the game by keeping him in the starting lineup, and that lineup is is working well as a unit, then yeah, I let I let him play through. Especially right now, when Markel Fultz is out for the foreseeable future, Jared B- Bayless is comfortable coming off the bench. I mean, it makes complete sense right now.
0: Gonna take a quick moment to tell you about Harry's. Harry's is committed to a great concept which is a great shave at a fair price. And I've been familiar with them. They do advertising in many things that I listen to, but it really took me trying out their products to to fully understand and to fully, you know, believe it. You hear it, but trying out their stuff is fantastic. I am a big proponent of their shave gel. It is the best shave gel. It's what I use all the time, but their razors are fantastic too. And I love the way that it happened because they wanted to do a great shave at a fair price, so they bought a blade factory. They bought a razor factory in Germany and then insured the highest quality, and then they cut out a lot of the other elements of the process that lead to higher costs, and so they passed those savings on to you, which is a great premise for any business, but especially in this one, which has some very entrenched interests. To, to go at it. And so Harry's has wonderful quality products. And something else that I love about their belief in their products is the way that they choose to promote it. So the way that you can check it out from us is harrys.com slash real GM. So this is a URL. And if you go there, you can get a trial offer for free. It's a $13 value, includes a razor with the handle, that shave gel I like so much, and a blade cover, and you get that value for free. All you have to do is cover shipping. So you don't have to worry about the risk, if you want to call it that, of, of going through the product. You get to try it out for yourself, see if you like it as much as I do, as much as millions of people do, over 3 million have switched to Harry's, and... Hopefully you like it as much as I do, and if not, all you missed out on was a little bit of shipping, but I am a believer in their products. I have been using it since the first time they sent it to me, whether whether it's just great. I mean, it's really high quality stuff. Get a wonderful shave consistently and now that I'm on camera more that is something that really does matter to me. So again, you can check it out with that free trial offer. You go to harrys.com slash real GM tells them you came from us. You get that free trial set to just cover shipping again. One more time harrys.com slash real GM. So there are a couple different ideas, some of which Nate Duncan and I have talked about on dunked on that I wanted to run by you just because you see the team so much more than we do and The first one is an idea that Nate posited last week, which I agree with as well, for at least for the time being, which is do Simmons and Embiid in particular, and you could put Covington in here if you want, is their chemistry so good that you want to keep them together and avoid staggering them?
1: It's a good question. They have been absolutely steamrolled when those two have been on the bench. So if you're saying that that grouping can be together for 30 minutes a night, I worry quite a bit about the remaining 18 minutes. Uh, I mean, it has been a real struggle offensively when Simmons isn't there to create. And I think I've actually seen more of TJ McConnell playing with Ben Simmons uh, than I would have expected. And so far, it's, it's worked out a little bit but they've struggled so much offensively when Simmons gone to the bench. They've struggled so much defensively when Embiid is on the bench that I, my gut still says stagger them, but I think from a continuity standpoint and just developing those guys, in terms of getting used to each other and comfortable each other and putting them in as many pick and rolls as you can and, and really locking down their defensive rotations to me, if I would do it, it would almost more be for a development reason than it would be for a pure effectiveness reason. It's a, it's a tough call. I mean, ultimately I think the end, the, the right answer is you just need better production from your bench. And right now the Sixers backup wings, their backup center, as we've talked about, just haven't been good enough. I'm not sure. Ultimately there's a way to scheme around that, but uh, you know, it, Certainly, I want to maximize how much those guys can play together if for no other reason than getting them, you know, accelerating their their comfort level with each other.
0: The other reason why I'm a big supporter of it long term, not as much for this year, I think you're very right on the idea that they they don't have the right other pieces to to fill in those roles so if you're gonna say hey if you guys get 15 minutes a game figure it out they, they don't have the personnel to do that is it you know, actually opens things up in terms of how they use these remaining assets for the rest of the roster that are going to be bench units if you have the idea of okay because if you get if you're gonna do a stagger let's say let's say we're thinking about simmons defensively as a four i mean offensively his role is very different that's why i separate these two things if you stagger what you're looking at for your number Number one big off the bench, you're looking for a guy that can play with either of them. If you don't stagger them, you're looking for a guy who can play, and you, then you can figure the rest out from there. And while it will lead to growing pains in the early days, and that's more likely actually the early days of the 2018-19 season rather than the days now, because they're not going to make those adjustments this season. I actually think that works better, because then you can say, hey, this guy can play, maybe we even get into that right. And then that's when, like, you think about the best reasons for a team to use a bench mob. Like, I think back to those Sacramento Kings teams, there are numerous other examples of this, is... When you cannot replicate what your starters do on a second unit, when you can't do that with other people, then you do something totally different and you make it work.
1: Yeah. No. I mean, it, it is something to certainly, you know, certainly consider. And like I said, this year, develop chemistry. Future years, hopefully, you have some someone a little more, you know, a little more competent behind behind Embiid, and, and that works out a little bit better. And look, when you add Markell Fultz into this equation too, that's another guy who can really. You know, ultimately, I think he's going to end up being your starter, but he's another guy who if you if you don't stagger them, you can put on that second unit and hopefully keep them somewhat competitive. It's just been a it's been a struggle this year to keep them competitive when either of those two have been on the on the bench they just really have gotten so little from that bench unit but i i completely agree with her where you're coming from
0: that also provides the impetus to just load up on guys that can shoot and guys that can handle the ball a little bit just because adding that to the second unit and then of course whichever one of those guys shine you can try them out in the first unit would be a possibility but Another big kind of scoping question with them, and this is more clear now than it has ever been, because not only did they decline the option on Jaleel Okafor, but they signed Covington and Embiid, so we know we know where their money is going to be, and we know that my my numbers have it before the draft picks at about 29 million, but of course those are going to cut into it. So my thought for a long time has been the place for that is the place to go with that money is a wing slash guard that can kind of fit their system. And so I guess the the place before we get individual guys, which I want to do, is that still what you think of as the, great, the greatest use of that money?
1: Oh, for sure. And I mean, that, that's a pretty good class coming up that has that. You can Dream big if you want with a guy like Paul George and the Sixers are an interesting spot because if they can clear another 10 million or so in cap space, that combination of youth money and hopefully a playoff berth is at least gets you, you know, a talk. But even if you go down the list, Avery Bradley in the season, he's having really good fit. Uh, A guy like Danny Green, another interesting guy that you can certainly have the money for. There's a a bunch in that archetype where I think you can go and, and make a play for.
0: And that leads me into the other question, which is the three guys that I I think of Paul George as a separate tier. And it's kind of like, if you can get him, even though he's a little bit older, if you can get him, you are get him. So then, and you and I have done this in draft circles before, but so the other three guys that are are a lot closer to each other are Danny Green, Avery Bradley, and Contavious Caldwell Pope. All three of those guys, assuming Danny Green declines his player option, which he will, are going to be unrestricted free agents, which is also very important to this. And so in all three of those circumstances, particularly with Green and with Bradley, they're current team is going to be a serious contender. I mean, I expect Andy Green to resign. But so for me, where you start with this is the conceptual question first, which is if all three were available, and let's say money's the same, even though it's obviously not, who do you think is the best fit? And how different are they? Are Would you be happy with any of the three?
1: You know, I think the best fit, well, I mean, I want to say Avery, Avery Bradley would be my number one of that group. Certainly, I, I trust his shot a little more. I trust his man-to-man defense quite a bit. Uh, he doesn't have quite the size and the length that you would want for a switch one through four scheme, but he can, I mean, he can, he, he can really D up. And I think the, this is one where area where I think sometimes the uh, defensive metrics that we sometimes rely on don't entirely you know capture i think what he brings on that in a quarter at least haven't over the last two years i think he would be my top target i would say danny green but he's a little older i think he'll be what like about 31 at that time but his game i think fits in just as well and kcp is i'm still on the if you get kcp more wide open looks he's gonna shoot really well from the perimeter it's never really materialized yet but he's also never had the shot creators he would have like ben simmons here you know he's a guy that you would take a a little bit of a gamble. And I still really like him. I still really like his defense. I'd like that shot to be a little more consistent, but I also think there's quite a bit of noise because he's taking some really tough shots. You know, I think all all three of those are reasonable targets. There's always going to be that question, well, do you roll over that cap space in 2019 when the cap's supposed to jump up, you know, another seven or so million. So you, it's a little easier to fit a, a 35% max under that. Uh, and do you go out and try to to pursue the big guy like like Clay Thompson? It is a risk when you have You know, one of the things that make team building with Joel Embiid tricky is you just never know how many miles are left on those tires. And you hate to think of basketball like that, but certainly any elite player, there's a risk that it could be taken away from you. But certainly somebody with that kind of a a history, if you can realistically build a team that could be close to contention and with another year of development from Embiid and Simmons you know and and a year of Velman from bolts bolts i don't think you're a contender i don't think you're beating golden state by by any means but can you you know can you toss away a 50 win a 55 win season if you can go out and get a guy like Avery Bradley, who might complete the roster so perfectly? It's a it's a really interesting question. I'm not entirely sure whether or not I want to wrap, you know, so much to plan around a, a low probability, like, you know, somebody in 2019. It's an interesting thought. I would really like Avery Bradley. I'm just not entirely sure what he's going to cost on the market. My
0: big concern with 2019 is the issue of supply. So, first of all, Clay Thompson might be eligible for a designated veteran extension. It's also entirely possible he doesn't get it. But you basically in that class to me you have Kawhi, who's the, like the, the dream of dreams, but I don't think that's realistic. Jimmy Butler, probably unrealistic. It seems like he's going to go back. Clay, very unrealistic. And then outside of those guys, it's really narrow. Chris Middleton is yep. possible, but he's a little older, and he's he doesn't have the kind of switching onto one's element of it that you, I think you would like. And then there isn't really anybody else that that truly fits that bill at least for right now. I mean, then you're starting to get into like maybe like a Rodney McGruder or something like that, and then you're that then you're starting to to worry about yeah, it. And and I. Agree class. And I'm really happy that you brought up the idea of the risk consideration with Joel Embiid. I think that has been underappreciated in this, which is, first of all, he's better now than I think a lot of people expected. So that's important. But also, you don't know how long you're going to have it. And so you push it while you can. And also signing that player this year, meaning 2018, so signing them this summer... That means you're making that commitment. And theoretically, if something bad happens, that commitment will be over sooner in the idea in like the worst case scenarios, then you can figure out where you're going at that point. If you wait until 2019, that person is going to be signed for a long time, that person is going to be a part of it. And maybe in certain the high end guys, you could say, Oh, well, you'll make it work either way. And that's completely true. But I'm just a a, a supporter of it, especially because the supply is there. Now, if I were looking at a different position, like point guard, where this class is is shaky and there isn't really anybody who's a good fit for the Sixers, then you start to think about this a little differently. Because, you know, like if if they're looking for a one, then maybe Kemba Walker next year or Eric Bledsoe or somebody like that. But that's not what they're looking for. They're looking for more of a, a, a combo guard that is defensive and then off ball.
1: Yep. No, I mean, it's it's to me, I would I would seriously pursue Avery Bradley. He he to me would be the target of those of those three that you mentioned, just because, I mean, you know, he'll be 27 shooting the heck out of the ball from the perimeter. And we all know he can he can man up defensively. He would, you know, he would complete the starting lineup, again, assuming Fultz comes in plays like the Fultz we saw at Washington. And the great thing about this discussion is we don't have to actually make these decisions until we get a lot more information on who these guys are and how close they can realistically be to being a, you know, a, a real factor in the Eastern conference. We have a lot more time until we get to that point.
0: And it might take a lot of that time to figure out really where, where we are with Marco Fultz. You and I were both incredibly high on Fultz as a prospect and, I still am in terms of his ceiling, like, you know, it's hard to know, at least at this point, how this affects it. But I want to take a moment to talk about why that was the case. And so for me with Fultz, especially with the Sixers, which was a fit I'd been in love with for basically since I saw Fultz play at the Hoop Summit the year before, which is the idea that he reminds me of Kyrie Irving in that he can function on and off the ball. And that's exactly what you want with the Sixers, because that's also means with his handle that he can attack closeouts. So if Ben Simmons finds him and the guy closes out too hard he can then create a look off that and so I think that as a one offensively he fits in well with Ben Simmons with a Giannis or somebody like that and it just so happens the Sixers already have that guy
1: yeah no he conceptually he's still I mean everything we said pre-draft still exists it's maybe a little bit harder to see there's a, a fog maybe hanging over Markel Fultz right now that you have to kind of shake off but there's no reason for me to believe that upside has changed It's just how do we get him back to that player that he was, whether that's changes he made in his jump shot over the summer, whether that's a shoulder injury. All I know is that the Marco Fultz we saw for four games before he eventually shut it down is not the guy I scouted. It's not even a reasonable facsimile of the guy I scouted. And until we get to see him on the court with Joel and with Ben and with Covington, it's really hard for me to make any kind of a you know, any kind of a long-term statement.
0: And that's the prudent approach. And and one part of this that gets frustrating for me is, I mean, we're both in a business where, where, where you have to produce a fair amount of content, but it's also true that, If the Sixers don't have to make a decision right now, we don't have to make one now either. We can just say, this is where things are. This is kind of... and, And with Fultz, I would say, the question that we should be talking about is, where does this need to be by May, by June, in order for them to make a decision? And that's a conversation that you can have. It's like, okay, well... They'll need to see, you know, can he be can he be healthy at that point? How does his jump shot look? Does he have confidence? Things like that. We don't have to say this is what it will be then, but this is what yep. we should be looking for.
1: No, and that's a, that's a great point. And I, frankly, I have no problem saying I don't know. Probably say that more than than people would prefer, but I have no problem saying that. But you're exactly right. What what do we need to see from him by the end of the year is a much different conversation. And, you know, really, you just need to see that he is back to, he's comfortable taking those jump shots. Three-point range, NBA three-point range is something that is in his future. And that he's showing a little bit, you know, he's getting used to the fact that he's not going to have the ball in his hands quite as much, and he's not going to be putting as many middle pick and rolls. And it's really just getting used to that role and embracing that role and getting that jump shot back. As long as he does that, then I think then I think you have him penciled in as a, uh, as a key part of your future going forward
0: going to take a quick break to tell you about my bookie. The holiday season is one of my favorite times of year in terms of sports. Not only is it NBA season, it's a little bit different now that we're earlier in, but also wonderful time for football, professional in college, and for hockey. And so you can make it a little bit more interesting and hopefully make some money yourself by using my bookie. And so where you bet, is just as important as who you're betting on. And so you can go to MyBookie and they have lots of different options for you. You can do play the money line, you can play sidelines, you can do total. And MyBookie has super fast, reliable payouts when you win, which is a great thing that you're looking for if you're choosing to wager on games. And they have odds on every matchup and a, and a great mobile site, which makes it easy to do on your smartphone. So for convenience purposes, especially many of us are traveling for the holidays. So you're not around your laptop or your desktop, whatever you use for the this sort of thing. So you can use my bookie And the way that you can check it out is you go to mybookie.ag and then you enter the promo code Real GM, RealGM, R D A L G M, like the site I write for in this podcast. And what that does is they give you a 50% deposit bonus, which is awesome. So you put in money like you were going to do otherwise and they just to give you a 50% deposit bonus on top of it. And that also, of course, tells them that you came from us. So it not only gives you more money than you would have had otherwise, but it, it tells them, hey, that th- tells them to keep advertising on our show, which we obviously love. So again, you go to mybookie.ag, and then it's a promo code. The promo code is real GM to get that 50% bonus. My bookie, you play, you win, you get paid. Let's talk a little bit more about kind of embed and where he fits in because what what has always fascinated me with him is the combination of two disparate attributes offensively and defensively. So to me defensively, he has defensive player of the year potential. I don't think you dispute that.
1: No, not at all. But then offensively, meaning he, not at all that I don't dispute it at all. Right,
0: right. Yeah. And so and so but then offensively, I think he can check a couple of different boxes. At first, I hoped that he could be more of like that high usage high usage big man, and he certainly was that last year and has been for moments of this year. What I'm more hopeful of now is that he can be that when you need it, but that he could also be more of a change of pace. Like the guy, like the fact that he can hit trail threes is fascinating to me. Like that sort of a thing where it's, you're not feeding him every possession, but that he can take advantage of the opportunities when they present themselves. And that is a very, very valuable player.
1: Yeah. And that is sometimes, it, it sometimes looked really good. Like there's been a lot of pick and rolls with Embiid and Simmons that look really good. Sometimes he takes maybe a little bit too much time to gather himself after coming off of that pick. Um, It's still a little bit of a work in progress. He's a little more comfortable posting up uh, than he is right now as a pure pick and roll player. But I think that is going to be a a very big part of his future, especially because you have such a game changer and a pick and roll player in Ben Simmons. So, yeah, it's really the, the main thing that you look at is his turnovers. And he has to get those turnovers down. That's still quite a bit of a work in progress. Some days he looks really good in that regard. Most days he still struggles quite a bit. Reading that double team is still something that, again, some days like against the Lakers, he'll make some passes that that gives you a high degree of confidence that he will figure this out eventually. It's just there are going to be an equal number of days where he's going to turn over six times and really hurt your team in that regard. He is one of the quickest learners I think I've ever seen on the basketball court. So there's really no aspect of his game that I look at and I say that's that's something that he can't correct long term in the future. But I mean he really does have every every skill you would want in a in a modern day big man. He can dominate on the block. You saw that against Los Angeles and their decision not to double him for most of the game is one of the more curious ones that I've seen, but he can also then dominate you as a passer. He can step out from the three-point line, you can run a pick and roll with him. He can take you off the dribble. It's really fascinating watching him him develop and watching his skills progress and watching the mental aspect of it progress as he becomes more accustomed to those double teams it really is i mean it's i just don't see many players improve like he does like you'll have kp on and kp will be like well you know did a draft prospect really improve in the second half of the season or or did he get on a 10 game hot run and how can we actually tell the difference he's one of the only players that i look at and you could just say no those are skills he didn't have a month ago, those are reads. He he just he couldn't process. A month ago, he did that at Kansas. He still does it now in the NBA on a regular basis. And that's probably yeah. It's great that he's 280 pounds. He made note of that the other day when he he joked about people coming at him. Those are great attributes to have. But his mind, to me, is still his biggest attribute, and, and that's why I think any problems he has can be corrected if he puts enough time into it.
0: And that's why he's special. I will also notice somebody who covers Steph Curry and Draymond Green, that even really smart players make those turnovers fairly frequently oh, just, sure. just because they're ambitious. And so I think some of that will be part and parcel to the experience, but it doesn't all have to be that way, and especially the ones for me when he's dribbling. I think that's the stuff that can be toned down a little bit. And, and I think he'll get to that point where he'll realize this team is so good, they don't need me to do that all the time and you know there'll be moments where he will and that's fine but you, you just to tone it down a little bit clean let's say one or two of those out a game then that makes a massive difference because this team is going to be good enough that that can really help them because let's say they have an expectation of getting 1.1 points on that on that possession you know getting getting that extra one or two that's huge and, I mean, and the defense yep. and so the other thing with Embiid that I want to watch closely and I, I mean you know I watch the Sixers a lot is that he has been good defending against other teams' best lineups. Like There's something that gets sometimes gets lost in this of when a player, especially a backup center, does really well early on. It's like, okay, well, generally, they're not going against the best dribble-penetrating guards. They're not going against... You know, the quality of play is disparate. He's playing as a starter and as a finisher, though his minutes' other points can be with second units just because of the way Per Brown has used him. And he has done a consistently good job, not a perfect job, but a consistently good job, of shutting down teams with the five that they want out there.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's I cannot speak highly enough of his defense. It, he still looks like he's rounding into shape. Um, he's not quite making the same. He doesn't cover quite as much ground as I think he did last year. You can notice it a little bit when he's on the perimeter. He's not quite you know last year he'd get switched on to James Harden or John Wall, and you'd say there there's no way a guy of his size should be able to c- keep up with him at all. And he did he did a pretty good job of that this year. He hasn't been quite as dynamic on the perimeter, but his numbers are still just as good. And you look at some of the reads he makes defensively, the rotations he consistently makes. And that to me is the biggest thing with Embiid. He has a consistency to him on that end of the court that a guy with, you know, what is he, 50 games into his NBA career, maybe 120 games into his basketball playing career that a guy that missed that much time and has played in that, that few amount of games has no real right to make. And when you yeah. combine that with his size and his strength and the ground he can cover, it really is. I mean, it's, you know, he comes out and he has a bad night offensively. He still, by and large, dominates the other half of the game. And that, to me, is why he is so special. It, it, the Sixers' land has kind of got embroiled sometimes in a debate of who has more upside and, and beat and Simmons. And it's great that you can have that conversation and not be ridiculous but to me it's always going to be and be just because even on an off night even when he's doing nothing offensively which is few and far between i mean this is a guy averaging 22 a night he is still completely dominating half of the court and completely taking another team out of their offensive sets it's it's really impressive to watch
0: either during the draft process or during the summer league stuff i made an analogy with with lonzo ball that he had seen partially because of the way chino hills played and to a degree ucla that he was like one of those kids that grew up playing online poker, that he had seen so many things. He had been through so many hands. And so he he had been through more reps than guys his age. That helps Lonzo just see a lot of things on the floor. He, he has these expectations. Joel Embiid doesn't have those reps. He no. plays like that guy, but he isn't that guy. And I, it consistently blows my mind.
1: Yeah, I mean, the number of uh, people that I've talked to, I mean, I've talked to people in high school, Kansas, with the team now, that will just say, look, we go, we show him a move offensively, we show it to him once, we come back the next day, he spent the entire night in the gym perfecting it, and he looks like a 10-year vet pulling off that move. Like, they've never, almost never had to show him something twice. And that ability to pick things up on the fly, and to be able to make those reads in game situations, it's, I mean, something that great players have, and it's certainly something that I put in a... you know, put in his balance sheet as a a real weapon he has going forward.
0: I don't want to spend as much time with Simmons partially because we're both busy people and we have things to do. but with Simmons, the question I want to ask you is wh- is there something that you think people who watch him less frequently might be missing with how he started this season
1: well i w- I would have said the defense that we brought up earlier just because I think the reputation for him was out there, and quite frankly deservedly so that he wasn't a guy who was going to really give effort defensively. And I think that perception is probably the one where if you don't watch him day in and day out, you might still think that is the case and it has very much not been. I think one of the things that surprised me is, is people like lose their mind when he finishes at the rim with his right hand. They go, oh, he's ambidextrous. Like, No, that's what he's trying to do. That's his strong hand. But he's, right, he's people, right-handed. He is right-handed, and I still think people don't necessarily realize that, and shout out to Kevin O'Connor, but he's admitted that he was right-handed and just taught to shoot left-handed, and he still catches defenders off guard, too, where he'll drive left, and in my head I'm watching drive and be like, he's spinning back right, he's crossing over back right, and it seems like nobody really – picks up on that yet? And left-handed players tend to get a a, a real advantage on that regard anyway, just muscle memory. So I think maybe you you spend so much time gearing up you know, hey, it's a left-handed player that maybe it, I, don't, I don't know, but it seems like there's still a, a misconception about that. But he has been, you know, I think when I scouted him at, at LSU, you go, okay, this is the type of player where NBA-level spacing should really help him. And you looked at LSU, and it was just a mess, especially when they lost Hornsby, probably their best perimeter player, halfway through the season, and it became even more of a mess. But you said some of these driving lanes should really open up when he got to the NBA. And conceptually, I kept that in the back of my mind for, you know, the year and a half that he was out. But watching him come to the NBA, NBA NBA spacing really helps him a lot uh, he attacks space and really the only team I've seen everybody plays off of Benson's everybody knows he's not going to shoot he has maybe I think seven three point attempts in his register right now he, he doesn't have seven three point attempts or all heaves. everybody knows he's not shooting beyond 15 feet everybody goes under the pick and roll and by and large nobody can still take away his drives. He's so fast with his first step. He's so strong when he goes up and he changes direction so well that even when you take two, three, four steps off of him, he can still get by you and get to that second level. It's been, it's been really impressive to watch him, even in the half court, where I thought he was going to struggle a lot more. I think, I think I checked recently and he was third in the league in points off of drives uh, behind James Harden and DeMar DeRozan. And he's doing that, and I think he was shooting from the field. We're not we're talking about efficiency now. I'm not talking about drawing fouls or anything like that. But I think he was shooting better from the field than both of those guys. So for him to have that kind of volume when everybody in the gym knows that he's not shooting from 17 feet or further, it's been really impressive to watch. Young
0: players like, you know, high school age and, and earlier should watch the way Simmons attacks space because this is a growing development. It just so happens that a lot of these freak of freak big guys who can handle the ball, their weakest point is a jump shot. I talked about this with Chris Herring last week, and his idea with it was everybody has to have a weak point, and so it would make sense that that's just not where they put the reps in as much as everything else that they do. But whatever the cause of it is, you have to figure out, the next point is you have to figure out how to attack that, because if you're satisfied with the 15-footer, then you're not doing as much, not only just in terms of that being a low-value shot, but in terms of getting to the free-throw line, getting other teams in foul trouble, creating havoc defensively, all those sorts of things. And Simmons questions does a better job attacking that space at this age than LeBron did he does a better job of it than Giannis did and both of those guys do a very nice job at this point in their careers but that's what's so encouraging with Simmons he's still incredibly young to see him do something that is generally very hard and I mean he grew at that even just in the two games against the Warriors like the first game he couldn't really get into a rhythm because Draymond knew how how tight to get back on him basically to give him space but then not not concede it the whole way and he was was better in the same game some of that was also they put different guys on him but I see so much potential for him because when you figure the big stuff out early then the smaller things get more manageable
1: yeah absolutely and I, I mean Sixers and it, it's weird to say after covering the team for so many years now they spaced the floor really well and two years ago I never I, I never really thought I'd be able to say that but also having Joel Embiid on the team I think really helps Ben Simmons quite a bit not just because you can play a you know five out and pull Pull the five man out to the three point line, which they do at times. But even when Joel Embiid's in the post, that five man's not rotating off of him. Not not for a second. And so many lanes open up because they're afraid you're you're watching DeAndre Jordan and the Sixers were backdoor cutting on him all night because DeAndre Jordan would not leave Joel Embiid. Even if Joel Embiid was ten feet from the basket, he would not make that step or two over there to go over there and contest the shot, especially with a guy like Simmons, who's such an elite passer. So you look at some of the numbers, I think I think Simmons is shooting about 10% higher from the field when Embiid's on the court. And I think there's a real correlation there on why that is. And they, that's just one of the, the many reasons why those two play so well off of each other.
0: This is probably an unfair question to give you blind, but I've talked about it a little bit with San Vecini, and so I'm going to do it anyway. Knowing what we know right now about this class and the next one, and actually now this gets more complicated because not only of the lottery restrictions, but the age limit potential. Would you rather have the let's say somewhere between six and eight so six seven or eight pick from the lakers this year or the sacramentos unprotected pick next year
1: so sacramento has been really bad and i don't have any real faith that they are going to improve substantially yeah, you know, usually what you would say is if, well, it, it's different now because of the wacky protections. I would say, judging by the fact that most of the, the people in that range are big men, and look, you still have a you have a higher need for a big man than I think maybe many would expect because Rashawn hasn't developed quite as much. Based on how poorly Kings have played and the fact that, that there would be no real protections on that if the Lakers pick conveyed this year, I would say probably the unprotected Kings pick is, is, is what I would prefer at this point. You know, obviously the dream is alive that the Lakers pick could end up number one. And I give the Sixers credit for putting that protection on there because Doncic would be an absolute blast to watch on his team. I'm not sure. You know, I think right now most people would probably have him number one. There's still a lot of basketball left to be played. But, you know, conceptually, he fits very well on his team. So that that's probably the dream. But outside of that, I think I'd be OK if the Lakers pick conveyed this year. And the Sixers got that unprotected Kings pick, even though theoretically there's still a lot of time for them to fix their roster and become a more competitive team. I'm just not sure I have any real confidence in that organization to do so. But I also it's also hard to say because I don't really have a strong grasp of what that 2019 draft class is going to look like.
0: Right. I think that's a big factor in this. And also, yeah, just just with lottery reform and everything else, I just need to really see kind of where it's going. But the reason why I want to ask that is I think the last question is, after you and I talked about Markel Fultz's fit with the Sixers a lot last year, it feels like we can make dreams a reality at certain points on this podcast. (laughs) So what I wanted to do was, let's say the, the Sixers getting the number one pick is out of the question. Who in that range from six to eight, that from what you've seen so far, which is probably not a ton, just because there hasn't been that much that has been played yet. Who from that group sounds like somebody that would make the most sense with with the, where the Sixers are right now and where they're going?
1: It's a good question, and I will say you, you you joke about making dreams a reality, but it's amazing to me that I'm sitting here and I don't know. I haven't watched. I can't. I can't. I can't tell you how little time I've spent thinking about Markel Fultz. And you talk about that, and that's you know making dreams a reality. That's a very big part of the Sixers' future, and I've pretty much just forgotten about it. It's really crazy to me that we can sit here and say that because the Sixers are so exciting with their big two, with Joel Embiid, with Ben Simmons, even with Robert Covington coming in there. They are so exciting that you can forget about Markel Fultz, and you don't really want to—it's Like, it's not as— frustrating as maybe it would have been. So he could be a real real boost to this team that I think we, you know, a mid-season boost and excitement would be would be fun. You know, I like and again, I have I've I've watched a little too little of this. I'm not quite as high on Michael Porter Jr. as I think most people are. I would right now have I would right now have Doncic ahead of him certainly for the Sixers and what they need. I do like Marvin Bagley. I this is mostly going on what I saw coming into the season. I have to really sit down and see what kind of progress he makes. He is an interesting big man in 20 in 2017, though, Aiton, I think, is just an incredible talent. I'm not sure exactly how he would fit on this team, but I think he's one of those ones that you, you take just because the talent's there. And, and certainly with Embiid, you invest a little more in that than you otherwise would have. Wasn't huge on Sexton from what I saw coming into this season. And, and I mean, he's a guy who I'm not sure you would almost... I wouldn't say you cross him off, but I, I'd question the fit anyway, just from the team needs. It really does look to me I like Kevin Knox quite a bit. And again, it's going to be interesting to watch him develop. You know, a bigger guy, both in in, in size and strength. I think he can defend the perimeter, which I think would be important in that that forward rotation, or at least defend the three a little bit. Uh, and I think his versatility offensively could be uh could, could could be a real weapon. I think he's probably the guy if the pick conveys you know seven to ten range this year he's probably maybe my sleeper in that range although i'm not sure if if the draft stock right now would say he's a sleeper i think he's probably been moving up it's tough though there's a lot of basketball to be played there's a lot of basketball to be, and still a lot for me to watch as well
0: yeah of course there are three guys that i'll mention one is robert williams i think that the idea of getting a talented high ceiling backup center who could theoretically even play a little bit of four getting that having that spot filled with a guy who's on team control for a four-year rookie scale contract plus then restricted free agency would be a, a wonderful thing for the Sixers because then they wouldn't have to spend the money on the next Amir Johnson or something like that. Yep. Miles Bridges, I just think he would be a wonderful fit on a team where he doesn't have to be as big of a piece. So he can just try on defense and all that kind of stuff. For sure. And then and Bruce- I mean, a
1: lot of that is also how much you buy. I've yeah. talked to a lot of people who are, some are really bought in on his perimeter jump shot, some not so much. So it'll be great. He's, he's one of those guys where I'm kind of glad he came back mm-hmm. because I wasn't 100% sure which way I was going on his jump shot so having another year of data i think would be really good
0: and then the other two kind of i think trevon duval is a fascinating archetype point guard wise just in terms of the backup spot just getting a higher ceiling guy to have another option there and then i want to watch more of bruce brown but yep. brown has the possibility of being another option for that kind of two guard can slide around a little bit hit open shots and so getting another bite at that apple would be worthwhile
1: yeah and i mean there's still there's still a couple of, of two guards in that that are in there in that group you know that group as well and you know Lonnie Walker Diallo there's there's a lot of intriguing talent it'll be great to see which ones really separate themselves from the pack and like I said I think the six are an interesting spot because you have theoretically four-fifths of your starting lineup kind of etched in stone for really what is hopefully the the long-term future so you can kind of pursue talent a little more than you are a team need at this point
0: yeah you can go for more of a ceiling play anything else quickly that you think would be good to convey especially to people who aren't watching the Sixers about what they should be looking for on this team
1: I mean what you should be looking for on this team I think is is really obvious tune in to watch Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and everything else is kind of gravy it's it's Watching those two night in and night out has been a has been a treat. And like I said, for a fan base that embraced hope so readily and so willingly for such a long time, it is a it is great to see that that hope and that faith rewarded.
0: It is. They're one of my favorite teams to watch. I, I watch them as much as I can do while fulfilling my other obligations. But it has been it's been a blast to watch them. And it's been great to talk with you. Thanks again. Thank you. Thanks again to Derek Bodner for taking the time to come on. You can read him at The Athletic Philadelphia and The Athletic College Basketball when he puts work there. You can also follow him on Twitter at Derek Bodner NBA. That's D E R E K B O D N E R N B A. Thanks again to him for taking the time to come on. Really do appreciate it, especially on on some pretty short notice. I was thinking about whether I wanted to do an episode, reached out to him, and we turned it around fairly quickly. And I love talking with Eric. It's one of my favorites. And so to have the chance to do it right at the right time, and I felt good that it wasn't a jinx because after our recording, they did end up beating Portland. And for whatever reason, I'm vaguely paranoid about that at certain moments in time. So I really do appreciate everybody. The Thanksgiving, you think about all the, the... the positives in your life. And for me, I'm fortunate that there are many. And a big part of that is everyone who helps make this show what it is. That includes the guests. That includes my support from Real GM, Chris Reyna, and everyone over there. And then CLNS Media, too, Nick Gelso, and really everybody at CLNS Media. They've been such a wonderful partner for this show. And all of you. Listeners are an incredibly important part of this. It's a show that's been going on now for years. I appreciate the word of mouth that everybody has shared and their feedback. So Danny LaRue, NBA at gmail.com at Danny LaRue emails way better because it shows up in my feed. I do get stuff frequently as my standard promise here. I, if you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. I can't promise I'll respond though. I do try and if you want to support the show beyond that, which I do appreciate, leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player of your choosing. It's great if it's iTunes. If it's not, that's fine. You can also subscribe, download every episode. Those are big things to do with this show or any other. And you can also check out our sponsors for this episode. That is Harry's. You can try out their, their free trial set, which is awesome. Go to harrys.com slash real GM. It's a $13 value. All you have to do is pay for shipping. And then you can check out my If you use the Real GM promo code there, you get a 50% deposit bonus. You can check that out. Tells them you came from us, all that fun stuff. So... I don't know exactly where I'm going to go from here. I have a couple of, of guest ideas for where I want to go. I don't like doing a ton of team-specific stuff unless there are big stories that I want to talk about, but there's so much going on in the league. And of course, I'll get back into college stuff too when the, when the need presents itself. I have watched a few games so far this year and not as much as I want to eventually, but enough for right now. So going through all that kind of stuff, it'll be a really fun road if you want to support me. Lots of different ways you can do that. Have a couple new pieces at Real GM, have one in the offing right now as well. Then wrote one on the Eric Bledsoe trade. Also, dunked on, of course, Warriors Watch, my Warriors podcast, writing for the athletic, done some stuff for the sporting news as well. And my book, 100 Things Warriors Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die, is available through local bookstores, hopefully in your area. Amazon, Barnes and Noble have it as well. And you can also get the, uh, there's a Kindle version. And there is like a PDF ebook version on Triumph Books, my publisher's website. So you can check that out. And yeah, it's, it's it's phenomenal. It's been fun. I've done a couple signings already. I'm doing another one on December 2nd, I think, up in Petaluma. So that'll be fun. And yeah, thank you to everybody who has helped make all of this possible. It is... A thrill of a lifetime to be able to spend as much time as I do focusing on all of this stuff, be able to talk and write about basketball and be able to make a, make a living doing it. I really do appreciate that. So thank you so much to everybody for your part in that. Take care and make it a great day.